Are you ready to unlock the key to having more power, more control, and more distance in your disc golf game? Well, in today's episode of the Chain Clankers Disc Golf Podcast, we bring on Albert Tam, who teaches us how we can get more power on our drives, which will allow us to become more accurate and further throwing disc golfers. Not only do we learn about how we can get more power on our drives and throws, we also learn about Albert's backstory in disc golf. We learn how he came from East Ionia all the way to the United States and how he's become such a great player along the way. You're not going to want to miss a single second of this episode. Let's get into it right now. Hi, my name is Albert. I'm a professional disc golfer from Estonia, sponsored by Light to 64, and you're listening to the Chain Clinkers podcast. Welcome in, everybody, to the Chain Clinkers Disc Golf Podcast. Super excited to have on our guest today. Before we get to it, I do want to say a quick shout out to Upper Park Disc Golf. Thank you so much for being the sponsor of today's episode. Make sure you use promo code CLINKERS10 to save 10% and get the best disc golf bags in the business. But let's get down to it, guys. We've got on Albert Bazooka Tam with us today from Estonia. He's the four-time Estonian national champion, two-time Estonian pro tour champion, and USDGC distance champion. Albert, that is an amazing list of accolades, as well as winning a Silver Series in 2022. How are we doing tonight, man? I'm good, thank you. Uh, I just had an ice pass, so if... Uh... You're going to have some good answers, I hope. <laughs> the brain is oh, yeah. reset. Oh, yeah. We're not too worried about it, Albert. Thanks again <laughs> for coming on. But uh, let's jump right into it, man. I got to know. Give me the origin story of the Bazooka nickname. So it kind of got on to me on to, uh, 2019. Uh, it happened during the European Open. Um, I was. It actually happened... During the third round, I was playing with Jerm and uh, some other guys as well, and we were on hole nine. And there was like we're in the chase card, and there was like plenty of people following us. And I was like, okay, uh, like usually whenever you make a pick putt, I had like probably like 55-ish uh, a putt to the basket, and people just do waves. And I was like, okay, if I make this, let's do a bazooka. Why not? So I was like, okay. Uh, I made a putt, uh, did the bazooka, people liked it, and Germ was like, lost it after this, and it was uh, something that was like, okay, I see people like it, and I was fortunate enough to get to the lead card, and the same hole during the final round, pretty much the same putt, maybe a little bit closer, and I was like, okay, this is it, and after this, the nickname bazooka kind of stuck to me, and uh, I like it. Yeah, I, I like it also. I love Every it. time you pull it out, I, I I know I enjoy it. You know, I've been a fan of doing the longbow, so I really as well enjoy the bazooka right there. I love that. The caps, I love the shades that you wear out on the course, just the swag behind it all. I'm a big fan. And I kind of want to take this now to where you first got into disc golf. Can you kind of take me through when you first found the sport? Um, I... I started playing like that I knew that I was playing disc golf 2014 uh, fall, but actually the first time I really uh, got into introduced into disc golf was at some uh, recreational park, and that was like 
couple years before, but, but then they just handed me the Frisbees and I was a kid at some party and I just went to throw, but I have no clue what is this game. So 2014 was the real time I was actually knowing that I'm playing disc golf. And I was playing badminton at the time quite intensely. And so a lot of badminton players were playing disc golf during their free time. And they kind of introduced me to this and... Uh, I started playing uh, disc golf with my badminton bu buddies, and uh, 2015 was the year. 2015 spring was the one when I started really like getting into it, going to weeklies, and starting to like explore the competition scene a little bit more. And then, oh. kind of from there, it uh, went naturally. Uh, I started playing more disc golf competitions, and soon as like uh, I discovered it pretty late i was like probably like 16 or 17 so i had like a couple of years in juniors and then i made the jump to amateurs and pro league pretty fast and yeah kind of started touring in europe at one point uh 2019 was the year then i w went to us the first time also and uh yeah after that i've been aiming for the u.s since u.s scene uh, ever since Roughly, how old were you when you think you started playing? Just for just for my information, I, I I don't know how old you are, which I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. But I'm just curious, when what year, 2015, you started playing? About how old were you? You put, said you played in junior leagues and then you moved on up to the to the next levels. But how how old were you at that point in time? Um, I was like 16, I think. Um, yeah, I was in high school for sure uh, when I really started playing it. And probably like eighteen or nineteen was the year. Eight, no, eighteen or nineteen uh, was the year for me then. Uh, so I was eighteen or nineteen years old uh, when I really made the switch to disc golf. And right now I'm twenty-four. Very nice. So we know. I got a question really quick about. Well, I have a question really quick about the uh, how the leagues kind of work over there in Estonia. Mm -hmm. um, you said, I mean, I know we have juniors. It's at least in the local scene. There's like a few junior players, and it's not as as prominent. And it's a lot of like, I don't know. I would say twenty to forty year olds are like the main majority of people around here. And I know when I watched the European Open this year, and like Simon Lazat's video vlogs and stuff, there when he was doing, you know, out playing, there was just kids all over the course. You don't see it like that in the United States. So is there like specific junior leagues all the way up to the big timers up in or over in Europe? Uh, no, maybe back in like in Finland there might be, but like in Estonia, I think no. Uh, the junior league is uh, junior scene is getting bigger though every year, but uh, to be honest, the fin Finnish junior uh, scene is something different. Uh, okay. It was really cool to see them uh, out there, and there was just hundreds of them out there, like asking for autographs, and that was pretty cool. Yeah. How would you compare how disc golf is now, currently? You know, your time in the United States compared to back home. Is there many similarities, differences? How would you say they compare to each other? Um, I would say overall. I would say the scene here might be a little bit more professional. Just like for some reason, like the way everything is run, at least back, that's uh, based on Estonian experience. Uh, like it's a little more systematic for me, I feel. But yeah, that's maybe something that I feel. But at the same time, uh, what 
is different is the culture of disc golf because like us is where it all began and whenever i come to play there and especially like i go to west coast like the way the life works on the course is different it's hard to describe it but like it's i can sense it's a little bit different I got to bring up the because uh, it was the European Open where Nico got his his uh, referee call, and I'm not I don't want to dig into that at all. But is that more of a common thing in, at professional tournaments? Are there actually referees um, walking with the lead cards and stuff in the United States, or I'm sorry, in Estonia and over there, or is it more like because I know in the U.S. it's a lot of the players kind of hold each other accountable, whereas there was a referee in that instance. Is it is it like that? Um, is that a key difference that you see between the two no, as well? Uh, no, 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 not uh, this. Uh, like, we don't really have marshals and stuff. I feel like this is only uh, on the majors and pro tour level. And But okay. I like, I, I really love to see it, though, because it's... Uh, <sighs> how to say? We, as players, are like friends outside of, outside of the course, too, and we hang around. And... Uh, it's really hard to make those calls at times. Nothing personal, but like it's still really hard. And it's good to have like a third person who is kind of there, not really attached to anybody. Um, I would say regarding rules, it's still hard back here also to do it because Estonia is a really small country and like uh, our total population is 1.4, I think, million. So everybody kind of knows everybody. and uh, But I feel... It's getting better to that point where people are more open and don't take it as personal whenever I call you on foot fault or something like this. Um, but I would say, like, just the way the tournaments are run, um, I would say, especially, like, not really comparing to the Disc of Pro Tour, but, like, overall, the, um, the setup of the tournaments is a little different, I would say. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fall Guy, only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, yeah. and I agree with you. I think that having a marshal or some sort of referee out there alleviates so much pressure on you guys playing the actual sport. You know, it's really hard to put your all into your shot and your game, but then also have to be constantly watching somebody else and then referee them. And I can understand how maybe that could impact some relationships outside of that round itself. So I kind of want to ask you, you know, getting really good at it such a young age, you know, what was your decision like to decide to go to the U.S.? Did you have some mentors who were, you know, pushing you saying, hey, you got to go try out the Disc Golf Pro Tour in the United States? Or was that just kind of your next step on your own? Like, how did you make that decision? It kind of, life kind of guided me through this. Uh, so 2019, uh, Actually, 2018, I met Håkon Kveset from Norway. Um, and sometime, like, I don't remember, he wrote to me, like, said, hey, what do you think about going to the U.S. Uh, with me, Anders, his buddy from Norway, and uh, Linus from Sweden? I was like, why not? Like, 
screw it, let's do it. And then, uh, yeah, it kind of like started like this. And uh, he inter like he had been to the U.S. a couple times, so he was kind of like our father, guiding us through uh, everything and like sharing the know-how. And it started from there. And later that year, I went to U.S. with Silver, Christ uh, Silver and Kristin. And yeah, after this, uh, I had the amount like I had the necessary context and everything to make it work. And after, and I also I saw that the visibility, the level, and everything is in the U.S. So it's if I want to get better, this is where I need to be. And uh, yeah, yeah, man. If you want to. Uh keep working on your game and compete against the best and all that you got to come over and bring bring all the best in the world with you because your your pal Kristen obviously absolute stud out there on the course but um so what would you describe like or I don't really want to ask that what was what would be your favorite tournament to play in over here in the states uh, I like Green Mountain Championships a lot, uh, just because of the nature. The Vermont itself, I really like. It's probably one of my favorite states. Just the nature, uh, going to swim in a waterfall and those mountain rivers. I really like this. Um, Florida is super nice. Just in general, like I would say, as a state, uh, I like the Tallahassee Open. Uh, just I don't know. The Florida has a different vibe. <laughs> Just as soon as I drove there, like I haven't even stepped out outside the car, I realized there was like a sudden change in the atmosphere. I like USDC. Um, I feel that course uh, is different from the others. It's maybe not as challenging technical-wise, but like it's also the mental factor that's kind of comes there and then it makes it hard for you to execute the technical shots like the shots that become a lot more difficult uh, because of the mental factor so I would say right now I would say those two yeah those are some awesome options right there for sure so when you initially started to play in the US more and more and deciding to tour full-time did you notice any gaps in your game that you needed to go back to the field and really work on if you wanted to continue to play at a competitive level? Mm. Like right now, I see the putting is the one that I've been working on. And also I'm working on it right now. And uh, probably the last year or two. Um, one thing maybe that I also saw was the consistency, like shot consistency. So, what I don't know, executing the 450 hyzer like, like seven out of ten times, kind of like that stuff was something that I was really working uh, on before I came to the US to 2010 and then I saw the big gap in the putting, and that's been something that I've been working on right now. So what what are you doing to improve your putting? You say you're working on it right now. What what drills are you working on currently? Uh right now I'm doing um like a putt and a film. So uh, I see what's actually going on and I feel that like I uh, usually do it with a field work, but like I feel you should do it also with putting at least some period just to see like whether the things you're feeling are actually like 
shown on video. Uh, so yeah, kind of like just doing this, uh, fixing the pace and the flight of the disc, and just seeing whether how it looks on video and like if it's really like connecting on both parts, like the feel and the real picture. Yeah, that's a really good shout. You know, I feel like a lot of people say you should, and our podcast as well has said, you need to film yourself while you're doing field work, but we probably haven't harped on enough that you should be filming yourself while you work on your putting as well, because I feel like putting is significantly much more mental than driving is. And so I feel like if you have that that film backup to actually show you what's going on i feel like that would only uh help your game improve a lot so that's definitely something that i know i'm going to start using this winter because i feel like mm -hmm. i've been struggling as well going between staggered and standstill and just kind of deciding which one i want to commit to but i want to talk about some of the positives in your game as well you know you're a distance champion at the usdgc you're an incredible thrower of the frisbee where does that originate from? Has it always been easy for you to throw Frisbees far, or did you have some struggles along the way? Uh, actually, it's a kind of like a funny story. Um, I remember there was one weekly that all of a sudden the disc started to fly far, and that was like so weird. But like before that, that was like hours and hours of field work. Um, filming myself uh having Simon Lazat form like checking what's like uh, what are the differences where I can uh, what I'm not doing like Simon is doing kind of like stuff like this and all of a sudden I feel like that day the timing clicked and the disc started to fly far and kind of from there the momentum kept kept going uh, and then usually during the winters when we uh like I was playing a lot more during the winter then than now uh but like during the winter because we were wearing we we're wearing a, a bit more clothes uh the distance kind of you notice a little bit of drop off but one year when i started really getting to gym and stuff like lifting weights i didn't really notice that drop off i saw like an increase in the distance so my point from here is like whoever is like really looking for uh to increase distance like good technique is great but like once you have that technique that's not all that you, uh that's not uh enough to really throw far you need to have some power behind it and like if you had the strength and explosive explosiveness behind it the disc will fly twice as far yeah man i love i love the uh I love how the, the nickname Bazooka kind of started out with you nailed a putt and did the Bazooka pose, and now you're the disc golf champion, and or not the disc, the uh, distance champ. And it's just the the uh, the transition from it was a putting like celebration to like, I can also bomb. Here, check this out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to send it 700 feet down the fairway, and then you should do it what, a couple of times. But anyway, so talking about, talking about that, what do you think gives you, besides, I know like going to the gym helped you increase that during the winter months, like you said. But what what exactly are you doing to generate that power when you are throwing? Uh, the hips for sure. Uh, like the getting the legs into the shot has been uh, was like kind of like a mysterious spot. I didn't really understand what does it mean to engage the legs in the shot, and 
then I went, uh, I was in France 2020 and I went to the golf range with my buddies. And over there, like, golf is kind of, like, all about hips and stuff. Uh, I'm not great in golf, but, like, that's what I, I kind of, like, was playing around and I learned from there. And I learned from golf motion how the hips work. And I was like, oh, crap, this is, like, I can do it in this golf, too. But, like, not, like, this U-shape motion, more like a horizontal motion. But, like, the way the legs are twisting and turning. And that really kind of made it, like, a real deliberate practice for me how to like on purpose engage the legs and i would say just if you're having a hard time figuring out how the legs work uh take some golf lessons go to the range and uh, maybe that helps yeah and that's something that i noticed i went out to the field this past week a couple of times and i was doing like you were saying i was filming myself trying to change some things in between throws. And I was noticing a problem that I was having was by the time my front foot, cause I'm a right hand backhand. So by the time that that right foot would be planting, I, my reach back was already coming forward. Like I wasn't getting to the peak. So I feel like I was engaging my hips too soon. Maybe like, could you talk about like, what should the proper timing be when your foot, when that front foot hits the ground, should you be at the peak of your reach back? Should you already be starting to come through? Like when should your arm, like where in real relativity to your foot landing, should your arm be when it lands? I guess if that's not too complicated of a question. Uh, it's kind of hard to say it right now because I haven't really looked at it this way. Um, but if I go like by heart, and when I go through my videos, uh, I think my hand is already kind of coming. Like whenever I, the right foot is moving forward from the X step, it's kind of like it reaches the maximum length, and it's kind of coming back already. And then it's not really in the power pocket whenever the, the plant is happening, but it's it's like slightly closer. And then whenever that, I don't know, um, domino effect happens, the the disc is in the power pocket at that moment. But it's like, it's not really st straight back uh, in the full length of the reach back whenever I'm planting. So it's it has moved forward a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so when you are watching your form, breaking it down... Um, what is like the key? So I understand what you're saying about timing with your hips and reach back and not being straight back and everything. But what is the key that you are looking for to make sure your hips are moving and generating as much power or the maximum amount of power that you can when you're looking back at your film when you're throwing? Um, one thing is uh, like this, that uh, how my toes are pointing. Um, they need to be slightly turned away from uh, like it's they're not fully horizontal you, whenever you take the stance you can like just plant the feet straight like uh, 90 degrees to the basket but you turn them to like 100 i would say this gives you like it opens up the hips a little bit more but one crucial part here is uh the weight has to stay on uh, on the toes and you can't show the heel to the basket because that's where you might lose all the momentum because you don't really have that. Whenever you show the heels, you just like, it's really hard to like 
make the full turn from there. It's really hard, uh, easy to lose the balance and like get the weight on the toe uh, on the heels. And when you the weight is on the heels, it's kind of hard. Okay, yeah. so two two things off of that. First one, are you saying that the weight should be more on your toes, not on your heels? Yeah, I would say like whenever I'm doing my let's say X step, I'm like slightly on the toes, kind of like okay. not not like tipping to, uh, like fully extended, but like the heels are slightly elevated. It's like a small marching, but the the weight that I'm feeling is on the toes. Okay, that's good to hear because that's how I've been throwing and then I've had people tell me that that's wrong and all my weight needs to be on my heels. I was like, that that just does not feel comfortable to me. So I, I'm glad that you were able to reinforce that for me. The, the second part of that, when you're talking about heels to the basket, is that what at what point should the heels not be toward the basket, I guess? If you could just go into that a little bit more. No, like uh, the heel should not be pointing at the basket. Like this is uh, where you can lose. Like whenever you're doing X-step and you're starting to look away from the target too soon that's when you're oh. like kind of like uh moving backwards towards the basket and your heels are facing the basket that's where like a f that can be quite an easy fix but it might be hard to notice at first i do have a question kind of go back um that makes perfect sense dude pointing your heels at the basket you basically lose a lot of power by doing that it's essentially what you're saying right by turning yeah. that much, you're losing power when you start to pull through because you're almost, I don't know. I don't know exactly how, but it, it makes sense that you would lose power by putting your, like, facing the completely wrong direction and keeping it, uh, you said 90 or 100 degree angle would be better? Yeah. Yeah, okay. and, like, uh, you can also try it, like, whenever you're just uh, doing the same, uh, just throwing, but, like, you're having the weight more on the heels uh, versus having it on the toes. You'll feel a difference, I'm pretty sure. And I had a question regarding the heel versus toe thing. Because I point, like, I, like, start out with the weight on my toes. And then when I go to rotate down, I come down on my heel. So are you saying you never want to come down on your heel and, like, spin through? Or you want to stay mean, on your toes as much as possible? Uh, do you mean, like, the when like the when plant I, is happening? plant right. is happening the, and you're like right. turning off oh that's right. when it goes to the heel yes i would say okay. that's where it's the only part where you're like really uh i don't know screwing that heel into the ground and like torquing off there so to to get max power starting out by starting your turn with your toe down first and then when you actually start to get the hips fully turned you crunch down onto the heel and then finish your follow through and turn right yeah yeah i would say whenever i'm planting my toe goes like the not like the big toe but like whatever the joint is for the big toe the, that goes yeah. kind of like first and then as soon as uh, that hits like the heels kind of like squashes into the ground and all the force goes to the heel and what can yeah. you say like what does it like when you because i don't i don't think i totally get my hips fully engaged but when that when that feeling happens, do you can you like? Is it something in your leg? Do you just feel like, holy cow, there was a lot of pressure. I felt a lot of pressure, not pressure like in a bad sense, but I could feel that the power went through my legs and properly. Or is it just something that comes with time eventually? Is there anything you've noticed when you've done it right? Uh, yeah. I, I, first of all, I noticed that this goes out with less effort. Uh, I don't really notice my arm movement movement that much, and uh, 
Yeah, it feels just it kind of feels like effortless. That's that's that like uh, that's what I'm like aiming for. And uh, sometimes I'm not. Whenever I'm looking for that, uh, I'm kind of lost with my legs. Then I'm like solely focusing on the hip turn and that stuff, and uh, and it usually kind of finds the slot. So if I'm hearing you correctly, just to recap kind of what we've been talking about over the last couple of minutes, to actually get power in your throw, it all has to be coming from, you know, your hips, your heels, your lower body. If you try to throw too much with your upper body, upper body, excuse me, that is what's going to hurt your distance and you're not going to be able to expand as far as you could if you're using that lower body more. Yeah, I would say like uh... – at least for me, I feel like, of course, there's like both parts have to be like strong in a way. So yeah. they're not like they're both in the same system. But I would say something that has maybe made that big distance jump for me was when I unlocked the legs kind of. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I love the explanation of it feeling effortless because when I have I don't have a great throw as often as I would love to, because I can tell when I'm like muscling it with my upper body, like my shoulder starts to hurt or your, maybe your forearm kind of gets feeling a little funny or whatever it might be. But those few throws around, I would say I have like four or five around that just feel effortless. That, that's a great way to explain it. You're probably more in, t like us amateurs are probably more in sync and in time than we generally are when the throws feel effortless. So that's a, that was a great explanation, I think, to, to that um, process. And, if I can, you know, we've been talking a lot about backhand. Is that kind of the same way for forehand? I feel as though for forehand, it can be one of those things where you try to overpower it and then just turn it. And the next thing you know, you have a cut roll forehanded. You're 300 feet, you know, from where you actually want to be. So is it kind of the same way that, you know, everything's kind of the same? You should be spinning on your heel. You should be using your hips on your forehand. Is everything kind of the exact same way for? the forehand compared to backhand uh in my opinion yes um same thing weight slightly on toes uh whenever the hit point is i'm just trying to i never really looked into this deep much detail with forehand but i feel like whenever i'm planting like i might get the first turn on the heel but i might like finish it up with a toe turn so it's kind of like 50-50. Um, but I would say, again, one thing, as soon as I learned it on backhand, I started to, like, implement it into forehand also. And one thing that I really noticed is, like, how easy it is on shoulder. You still, like, Chandler Kramer, I think, is a great example on this. You see how his hips move into the shot? Like, like he, he probably doesn't do a lot of work with his arm itself just gets the disc to spin but he get, generates so much power from uh, sidearms i really like his form and uh, i think if you're trying to look into how to get uh, legs into forehand i think he's a great guy to like look up 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 onto yeah that's a great shout because uh i gotta admit i don't know that i've totally watched his forehand form but i think i'm definitely gonna go check it out because forehand is something i definitely want to work on we asked you a question a little bit about what keeps you motivated and I want to kind of get into, you said something about you wouldn't call it motivation, but you would call it consistency. Um, 
Can you kind of get into that and kind of explain it a little bit? I mean, it makes sense, I think, but I want to hear the, the deeper thought on that. It's kind of like, it was really hard to put it into words because like, I don't really, I'm not like, I'm rarely like, oh yeah, today, let's go grind. Like, I don't know. It's just like, it makes sense for me. Like I go train, there's like, I'm not like, yeah, I'm rarely really motivated to do anything, but like, uh, I don't know, it just makes sense. And I would say that's the consistency where the consistent part is like, like I have a plan, I stick to it, I do it, I love it, and I just, I'm consistent. Like, I'm a, yeah, I, it's, uh, yeah, it's really hard to put it into words, but it's kind of like this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Yeah, I mean, I can get that. And I feel as though it's one of those things where, and I've noticed this in myself, when you almost get too up or down on something and you're like, okay, I'm going to go really, really hard this week. And then you don't do it one day the next week and then you don't do it for three weeks. Or it's one of those things where it's hard to build that consistency almost when you're, when you have that such a high level of expectation that I kind of get that, you know, if you just, this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. I'm going to stick to it. I feel like that is a great way to go about it and a great way to get better in general. And, and I kind of want to continue on this subject, you know, what are kind of your upcoming goals, you know, getting that win earlier this year at the silver series event, I can only imagine that felt fantastic. You know, is that kind of going to propel you into a fantastic 2023? What are your thoughts on this upcoming year? Uh. We'll see, because the uh, ending of 2022 season was pretty rough for me. Um, I think after, uh, yeah, maybe from European Open, kind of like I had a really rough spot all the way through the season, uh, to the end of the season, and it kind of wore me out mentally. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to learn from those mistakes that might lead to that point. Uh, but in, in the other hand, I'm really hunting towards something great on Elite Series, uh, pumping my rating up also. Those are probably the main goals I'm going for. And uh, of course, the majors and title competitions are the ones that everybody are going after for. Yeah, what what tournament are you most looking forward to? I mean, I know you kind of said what your favorites were next Uh from the past few seasons you've been in the States or just in general, but what are, what are the key tournaments that you're really putting your focus on? I know you don't like try to look ahead too much. Probably you just want to consistently get to where you're going with your goals, but what's, what's one or two main tournaments that you're looking forward to and hoping you can either improve on how you played this season or the last couple seasons or one that you've been playing well and hope you can take it down soon. Uh, I would say like the majors, always are something that I really point out in my calendar. These are the ones that um, where I'm trying to tie my form to be at be at its best. Um, so yeah, Worlds, 
all the majors, those are the ones that really uh, my mind is kind of focused on. And also next year, there are there is European Championships happening also, and also here in Estonia. So these are in addition to that. Can we talk a little bit about you know? super excited for those events and and you know you've got a fantastic sponsor in latitude 64 how did you initially link up with latitude 64 when did they kind of come along in your disc golf journey so i was pretty fortunate enough to get picked up by a sponsor pretty early like i started placing like 2015 was the when i started really playing competition and stuff and already 2016 i had I got picked up by Latitude 64 Baltic team, which was like, yeah, run by local uh, retailer for Latitude in Estonia. And I got first contacts from there. And I think in one or two years, uh, through their connections, I got bumped up into main team. And from there on, I kept progressing. And, and Silver, Silver Leitman is the guy who was who was running it and uh, he really helped me like getting into communication with the uh, latitude 64 guys and kind of helped me climb the career path <laughs> yeah and that's great i mean latitude 64 plastic and everything that they stand for and i know i'm that that's the biggest retailer slash disc company over there in the uh in Europe, correct? Estonia, Europe, all the above, um, over Innova and Discraft and all of that, right? Yeah, I would say, yeah, Trilogy is probably the biggest brand in uh, Estonia. And you got to be loving that royal plastic, right? Royal yeah, I love it. It's, and they especially like the Orbit ones. And uh, if you haven't, like the Supreme Escape, that's something that flies really far. I was really surprised when I threw it and uh, yeah, the turns, whenever that stuff is happening, it's like smooth, not like quick yanks. It's like smooth turns and like consistent fade. Uh, it's really a disc worth, uh, worth checking out. Do you already know what your 2023 uh, like signature series or, you know, disc for you is going to be? Yes. Uh, it won't be Belissa Pro. I will say this much. <laughs> Can't share it yet. It's confidential. <laughs> nah, it's uh, you guys see it. I think you guys will Can't like. Wait, it. you gonna I... go? Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. Is it, the only question I'll ask you further on it is it a new mold or is it a mold that's already in production? Uh, it's in production, and I think the stamp is pretty dope. Nice. Yeah. I got my guesses, so I can't wait to pick it up. Is it going to be royal line plastic, or is it going to be? I can't tell. We don't. We don't. We're really digging in. I got my guess on what it is, and Albert, I, I'll tell you what, man. If it if it's what I think it is, I'm going to be super pumped to throw it. Uh, Latitude 64 for me personally has been a brand that I've gotten a lot more into recently, um, and I have just really been enjoying their plastic and the feel of it. So. I, I cannot wait to try out whatever's going to be coming out for you next. And, you know, I think we've had a fantastic discussion so far. And I think it's time. Let's get into the ace round. You know, these are the same five questions we like to ask all of our guests. And that way we can hear some different answers, learn a couple things, and hear some awesome stories. So, Trenton, why don't you start, off, start us off? What do you got for the first question? 
All right, Mr. Bazooka, you're taking a beginner to get their first discs. What putter, mid-range, and driver are you going to recommend? Um, I think I will recommend Pure uh, as a putter because it's really easy to throw. And, uh, okay, your hand sizes matter a little bit, but, like, I feel this is a great disc to, like, it really wants to glide into the basket. Uh, mid-range, I would say Fuse because... Uh, I think it's a great disc to, it has like this perfect stability, so if you have a little bit lower lower arm speed, it will be like nice consistent mid-range, but if you have a little bit higher, it will be just a nice straight, like dead straight mid-range. And driver, uh, I think probably Sapphire. Um, it's one of the easy, easiest discs to throw. I have one in the bag myself. Uh, it just requires so little effort to get it to fly. Uh, in Nevin, I went wherever the Disc Golf Pro Tour was happening. A couple holes there that were like 400 feet in the tunnel. I threw my Sapphire. I knew I could throw it like 50% of power. But like I, I could just control the angle so well. And uh, if you have like a... Burst plastic, those are a little bit more stable. Opto ones, uh, I don't have that much experience on. So yeah, there's like great, a lot of like playroom regarding like plastic types and uh, what kind of stability you're looking for. But I would say those are my free recommendations. Yeah, those are good. I mean, Trenton, yeah, we know he's a sapphire. big sapphire guy. Yeah. So and I gotta I, ask, I, was... I got one question uh-huh. about that before. Are we? Are you switching us up? Are you going to the nah. next one? I yeah, gotta ask: okay. Are you throwing? Are you throwing um, max weight sapphires, or do you throw the lighter stuff? Oh, uh, I think mine is like one fifty-five to one sixty. It's like a that's, burst that's plastic. Awesome to hear. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's like insane how far it flies. Uh, hole free at Jones uh, Supreme. We had a tailwind. I threw my sapphire. Like, I don't know. You can see it on the uh, latitude uh, video on which. Jonathan and like on hole three I threw a sapphire all all the way across the pond so yeah I'll give my approval on this yeah that's literally exactly where I was going to go I was watching that video this morning in preparation for our interview I was re-watching it and I just seeing you throw that shot with the sapphire in that wind I was like this dude's animal this is insane. I could not even imagine doing that. And and we did get a lot of fan questions coming in about Jonathan and Latitude 64. And you like, and so I'll I'll just ask you here also, are you and Jonathan boys? Like, what is it like having Jonathan around? He's great. He's uh really genuine. Uh and I feel that's that's what makes him really so great. Yeah. And he's really friendly, kind hearted and uh yeah, he's a joy to be around. Yeah, it looked like you guys had amazing chemistry during that video for sure. And, and yeah, you guys are awesome to watch on YouTube. So I'll get to the second question now. What is the favorite course you have played in one course you have not played yet that you'd like to scratch off that bucket list? I would say Fox Run in Vermont is one of my favorites. Um, but I haven't played in Norway. Uh Next year, there's this PCS Open or and also the Sula. So those are the courses that I'm really looking forward to. Like, like again, the nature. Uh, I just can't wait to see those views from the course and also everything that's outside the disc golf course too. 
Heck yeah, those are, it's fantastic. All right, here's the next one for you. What is one tip you would tell your beginner self knowing what you know now? I would say just deliberate practice. Like, uh, like have the, like, just have it fixed in what is, like, the intention of that practice session. And also, like, include the filming and everything. I did it pretty early, but, like, still, like, you can do it earlier. Yeah, I think going to the field with a plan, you're always going to be better than just going there and chucking things with no intention. So fourth question we've got for you, what is your favorite memory playing disc golf? Uh, I think one something that really pops in mind is like whenever I threw a 160-meter ace, that was, that's like 530, somewhere there. Uh, that was something that's still pretty unbelievable uh we were playing with my our uh, my buddies uh at one of our close like some course in estonia and they had this like downhill it was slightly downhill out uh and uh again long haul and it was kind of like a tunnel shot but it opened up halfway through and there was like a river on the right side so i threw i was throwing enforcers back then and i uh, threw my enforcer with a hyzer slight t- uh, headwind it flipped up pretty fast and it kind of like had this quick turn and it started drifting to the right to the river. I was like, damn, this boy is gone and I'm not li- <laughs> really not going to go look for it. And uh, then I kind of lost the disc over there, but my buddies uh, said, oh, it's coming back. And I was like, hmm, where, where's the disc? And the uh, last thing I remember is like slight, like the flick of a disc hitting the chains like a sound delay and then hearing the chains that was like something else and just the sound delay was probably the craziest factor for me there yeah that would be effing sweet (laughs) (laughs) that would be amazing like going from well that sucks that disc is gone to hearing the chains well seeing the chains and then you're far enough away because Again, the bazooka reference totally makes sense. <laughs> You're far enough away from it. You see it hit, and then you hear it a half a second later. That would just be amazing. That's that's a good one, man. I've gotten like two aces, and they're pretty cool, but they're only about maybe 230 feet max. <laughs> so uh, I mean, anyways. every ace is cool, though. Uh, it's true. It's true. They're all it gets cool, your heart going. It does. So, anyways, that's that's awesome. That's good stuff. All right, man. Here's the last one we got for you. What is the biggest mistake you see new players make? Hmm. I think like a lot of stuff I see are because people are rushing. Uh, like you see my throw, it's pretty slow and everything is kind of like moving whatever it's supposed to. So I would say kind of like this is the first thing whenever I see a player who's struggling with something. One thing I say like, bring down the tempo like it's not about being fast all the time it's just being fast at the right moments and like eventually the timing will come there where it can do those all those run-ups and stuff a lot faster but like you need to have that timing set in place in order to work on that that's good stuff that's a great tip 
Yeah, completely agree with you there. If you guys enjoyed this podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. We've loved having Albert on, and make sure you guys stay stay tuned for next week's episode. We're going to have a member of the Disc Golf Pro Tour on the podcast, someone behind the organization that's going to let us behind the curtain. So super excited for that one coming up. Albert, where can people continue to connect with you on social media and follow your disc golf journey? Probably the best place is on my Instagram, Albert Tam. Uh, you can also type in Bazooka. It should pop out. Uh, <laughs> the same thing with Facebook. Yeah. Uh, and also, if you don't have either of those, uh, you can go to my website, albertam.com. You can also get all those links from there. And, like, yeah, you can stay up, up to date from there, too. That's awesome, man. We really appreciate you coming on. We loved having you. Thanks for the great conversation and the great tips, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And if you guys have enjoyed this and you want more bonus content with Albert, make sure you head over to our Patreon right now, patreon.com backslash chain clankers. We're going to have another little episode here with Albert. We're going to learn more and who knows what's going to go on in that episode. So you're going to want to make sure you join today. We will see you guys next week.